The second is being engaged. We, the world does not need 8 billion passengers. It needs 8 billion active participants in order to solve these big problems. So, so figure out your relevancy and then get stuck in. Get stuck in at your building level, at your gated community level, at your school level, locality, city, country, the global level, whatever it is that is part of your appetite. But get stuck in because we all need to be engaged. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark big or small is creating your legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and deep contentment. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. To find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my brand new book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Zest, where you will get behind the scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at JudyBanker.com. And you know I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. What is the true definition of health for you? Is it the absence of disease or is it something more? What contributes to your health? There's a lot of confusion out there. Our guest today is Dr. Marcus Rennie, an international champion of well-being who has recently been involved in the fight against COVID in India. His philosophy centers around enhancing the positive aspects of health rather than focusing solely on disease. Randy's research has taken him to the sides of Everest, skiing in the Arctic and the European Alps, and he's served as a medical officer in the Royal Air Force and NASA's Kennedy Space Center. And he's recently authored the book At the Human Edge, which looks at the human physiology and extreme sports. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Very lovely to be here. <laughs> and you are uh, here, uh, the miracle of the internet. Uh, can you can you tell our audience where you're calling from? Yeah, I love doing the sessions in lockdown because I get to meet interesting folks like you from all over the world. I'm currently sitting in my home at my desk in Mumbai, in India, Western uh, India. Uh, and it is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, nine and a half hours ahead, I believe. Yeah, yeah. You can probably yeah. hear the evening sounds. It's, it's a quarter to 6 p.m. Perfect. Okay. Well, there are no evening sounds here. The household has just woken up and my dog is a little curious why we're at this so early, but it was uh, absolutely worth it because I wanted to speak with you and I wanted to start uh, with the question about COVID. Um, you're in India, you're a physician, and you are uh, doing some initiatives about trying to improve the situation there. Can you describe a little bit what's happening and what it is you're working on? Yeah, we've had a, we've had a painful few months, as I'm, I'm sure you and your listeners may have seen on the news. 
the second wave of the pandemic hit India really hard, particularly with this new mutant strain, the what's now been reclassified uh, by the WHO as the Delta variant, the B1617.2. Uh, it led to a, a case at one point, Nicole, where we were having north of 500,000 cases every single day. Um, now, of course, that's come down. We're currently at about 50 to 55,000 cases a day, uh, and uh, which is a lot. I mean, in a, especially in a country like India, which is so resource constrained uh, and uh, people lack the basics to health. Uh, let alone some of the more complicated challenges that COVID brings, particularly because of ventilator support and oxygen therapy, etc. Uh, you know, in the first wave, uh, I, I threw myself in the deep end. I had been out of clinical medicine for well over a decade after moving to India from London in 2010. But I decided to become a, a frontline volunteer and I was working in the slums uh, as a surveillance doctor for <coughs> four to five months before falling unwell with the virus myself. Um, but in, in this wave, uh, obviously the, the, the number, the volume of cases is so much higher. It's just, you know, literally at times the phone wouldn't stop ringing for the entire day. Uh, my wife and I, uh, she's also a clinician, uh, we set up an initiative called Meds for More, uh, which we actually launched on the 1st of May. And the idea, the premise was a very simple one we started to ask patients who had already been treated for COVID to donate their leftover, their unexpired, unused medicines. And we made those available for people who could neither afford nor access uh, this completely free of cost. It started here on my desk at home, uh, where we had one member of our household staff whose son got diagnosed and, and I reached out to three patients that I was treating in my apartment block and they send the medicines and that's when we realize that if one building can come together to help save one life then just imagine what one locality or one city or indeed one country could do for herself and now in in just shy of two months we've collected almost a metric ton of medicine equipment consumables equipment uh from over what, 14 or 15 cities across the country well over a thousand volunteers now part of this meds for more initiative and we've been so grateful to all the donors, supporters, platform partners, and we haven't spent a single rupee. Uh, we've not collected a single rupee in, in financial donations. So it's just a testament, I think, Nicole, and, and anyone listening in, in that never think that your act is too small. Every small act of kindness can lead to huge waves of positivity. Uh, you, if you've got the right intent, you can really create a change in this world. What were you doing before you were in London? What were you doing uh, with your professional life before you decided to jump into this? I, uh, so, you know, my career, I've, I've always been passionate about human biology. And uh, before I finished my degree in medicine, my first degree was in human physiology. And at the time I was serving in the reserve forces in, in the Royal Air Force uh, medical branch. And that's when I first got introduced to this idea where and I got to see firsthand these amazing fighter pilots who were sitting in this incredibly cramped, contained cockpit and having literally tens of thousands of data points thrown at them every minute and still able to make almost with surgical precision uh, these, these very important decisions. 
uh, around around different things. And that's where I think my, my love affair for extreme physiology really started. And I got to do some really interesting expeditions to, as you were saying in your introduction, to Mount Everest. Um, I led a team of 100 medical students and support staff to, to the mountain in 2007. I led an expedition, and there we were looking at the effects of low oxygen hypoxia on, uh, on, on a whole host of, of different uh, body systems. I then led an expedition to the Arctic, deep up in the Russian Siberian Arctic, and we were looking at cold, uh, the effects of cold stress on the immune system, on heart rate variability, and on mood as a disorder, uh, and various other expeditions to other parts of the world, including you know, coming closer to you, uh, been invited to, to spend time at NASA on the human spaceflight program for Space Shuttle, space shuttle Atlantis, STS-122, uh, and her visit up to the International Space Station. Uh, and that was an incredible uh, period of time as well. So, you know, I really got the chance to dive deeply because I just love human biology so much to really look at different aspects of, of our health, our well-being. And now through my work, including the book uh, at the Human Edge, is really looking at performance and how that translates into human longevity. I think a topic which a lot of your audience would be really interested in. Uh, and so how can we extend health span and lifespan? So live to 120, but have a happy, long, healthy life for the process. And some and and some of this work has translated into your understanding about COVID and recovering from COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So it was obviously very near and dear to me because I got hit pretty badly with the virus, uh, and it took me uh, a number of months to get back on my feet. Um, and what I've started to to look at now is is all of those applicabilities. Whether it's the data that I'm looking at, in, for example, heart rate variability data, is a very nice signal to use as a surrogate of the stress response. Right. So stress is comprised of obviously the sympathetic nervous activity, but you've also got the the body has a natural yin and yang. So the yang is the parasympathetic system. So heart rate variability, the the second by second variances in a person's heart rate is a surrogate for the stress response in the body. So I use that as a very powerful tool to not only monitor my own recovery, but now for people that I'm looking after as well. And, and use that as an index to guide your return back to exercise and fitness. I see. How quickly you get back to like a homeostasis. Yeah, absolutely. And how much you should be pushing yourself because, of course, COVID is such a multidimensional disease that you really want to be careful. Uh, and long COVID syndrome, which has now been well documented in the medical literature, affecting 25% plus of people, it's, uh, it has huge effects on your energy levels, your neuropsychiatry, your ability to digest thromboembolic diseases, etc. So that's a, the HRV is particularly is a very powerful tool to use in that toolkit. Hello everyone, I am so excited to announce that my book is finally available for purchase on Amazon and my website, ZestfulAging.com. It's called Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, and it's written for people interested in starting a podcast or for those already podcasting who want to stand out from the 
2 million podcasts that are already out there. So please pass this along to anyone you know who could benefit from my 30 years experience as a psychotherapist and over 250 podcast interviews. Thanks so much. And uh, you mentioned stress, and I, I'm trying to imagine the stress level of you uh, being involved in this initiative to help people in India with uh, getting the medicines that are available, and 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 seeing the the number, the massive number of of people who are ill how do you address that for yourself in terms of your own stress it's been hard right Let, let's be honest i think uh none of us trained in med school for this sort of scale of onslaught uh, over such a prolonged period of time and uh you know I, I i'm not shy in saying that i've i've shed many tears on on many occasions through this process uh, I felt burnt out on many occasions in this process, and my wife has been particularly attuned to recognizing those, and, and have, we've created sort of ways of, of disconnecting and, and recharging. Luckily, something we both enjoy greatly is, is spending time in nature. Uh, and so uh, even though we live in a big city, uh, a couple of hours away from us, we've got some beautiful uh, hills and countryside, and that's what we were doing last week as well. We took the kids. For a couple of I days. saw the pictures. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, that's that's a very important facet of self care. Uh, I'm a big uh, I'm a big running uh, enthusiast, uh, both forwards and backwards, as we were talking <laughs> about before. Uh, so mm. I make sure that I get my runs in and I, I get my ten thousand steps in every day. Uh, I'm very careful of what I eat. Uh, you know, intermittent fasting is a is a big uh, part of my toolkit around not only performance but longevity as well. So I'm, I'm very precise in the macros that I consume, the micronutrients that I supplement every day, uh, when I eat, how much I eat, and what I do before and after as well. So, you know, one tries to take a very mature, conscious, holistic approach to this because I've, I've learned the hard way that um, you, know, you can't pour from the empty cup, especially when I was so severely unwell for those four months. Uh, and that self-care and self-love is not selfish. So it's an important part of, of, uh, of helping others as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And in general, um, it sounds like your philosophy is really can be boiled down to what can we do to be healthy what can we do to contribute to our health rather than more preventative and uh, whole-bodied rather than what medicines can we develop to um, target some symptoms and I'm gonna just take a wild guess that that was not necessarily the thrust of your learning in medical school <laughs> Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So, how did you come to that philosophy where you're looking, I think, more globally? You're talking even about climate change, global warming as a, um, an issue in terms of health. How, how, how did you make that transition? So, life's a journey, 
right? And that's the great thing. If, if one is open to the idea of, uh, of, of challenging the status quo, of, of strong convictions loosely held, uh, and asking questions at every juncture that's presented to you, I think there's great opportunities for all of us to learn. As doctors, we call ourselves healthcare experts, but there's very little health in our care. The system is not, it's just not designed around that, right? Even if you take a country like yours, where you're spending 18% of GDP on, on healthcare, that's not sustainable uh, in the long run. And, and, and even a country like where I am in India with 1.4 billion, we're already the diabetic capital of the world, we're the cancer capital, we're the cardiovascular capital, we're the mental health capital. Now, these are not good prizes to earn. Um, uh, and so we've got to fix things in a holistic, systemic, systemic manner. And part of that journey for me has been to now move upstream, uh, increasingly looking at behavioral sciences, increasingly looking at the contributors for what decides your long-term health. As, a, as someone who's fascinated with human longevity, it's really interesting to note that while so much science is being dedicated, rightly so, to the Human Genome Project, and how we can understand our genes and the cellular uh, manifestations of that. Only 20 to 25% of your probability of living to be 100 years old is decided by uh, who your parents and, and the grandparents were. In fact, it's, it's, it's probably in the region of five to 10. The other 10 to 15 is, is your epigenetics, so the expression of those genes. The rest of that is directly because of the environment, your relationships and your behaviors and mindsets. So actually, as a physician, I have a greater degree of ability to change the arc of my patient and their health span and lifespan by manipulating those other facets rather than just focusing on symptoms. Now, of course, it's very important for symptoms to be treated. And, and, I, and I'm very proud of the work that my medical colleagues, and today's World Doctors' Day, by the way. So I think it's a great opportunity for all of us to celebrate the great commitment and dedication that the medical fraternity has done over the last 18 months. Um, and that's very important. But I think that from a, a systemic level, from a population level, we need to increasingly invest in systems that go beyond just uh, pathogenesis and disease. And that's where I find my work. Is that to say that we're moving, you would like to move some of the focus from individual responsibility to global responsibility? I think it's a it's a, it's an interplay between both. And when I when I view the work that I currently do in terms of a, a, a well-being framework, there are three concentric circles that I invest my time and energies in. There's the well-being of the individual. So what decisions can a person do for herself to make their life good, productive, efficient, happy, etc. There's the well-being of the organization and the team. Uh, and then finally, there's the well-being of the system of the planet. So I've actually designed my life and my work in a way now where I spend my time equally across each of these three aspects. And that includes the ventures that I invest in, the businesses that I run and set up, and my academic work and energies. Uh, because I believe that in order to create that new future that I want to have for my two young children, then it requires investments across each of these three particular spheres. Mm -hmm. And the idea of you, you've, you've spoken about uh, global warming. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about the influence or the effects of global warming on individual health? Yeah. In 2016, I, I wrote a paper on the relationship between the climate crisis and global health. And the reason I took this particular stance is, of course, I'm very interested in, in the effect on the human body. But to make it a conversation which is important for people beyond the somewhat abstract notion of number of kilograms or metric tons of carbon dioxide pumped into the atmosphere. People find it very difficult to relate to that as a concept. But what they do understand is 150,000 people dying every year because of respiratory diseases, which are completely preventable, but are directly caused by the climate crisis because we're putting the particulate, the PM 2.5, into the atmosphere. They, they, they see and understand the effects of the heat wave right now in Canada uh, and the effect it's having on people above the ages of 70 uh, in terms of heat stroke and dehydration uh, and cardiovascular disease, etc. So I'm linking my work between the climate crisis and, and health. And by the way, in that paper that was published and I was invited to Davos, the World Economic Forum, to present this, my number three concern out of five was the impending risk of a global pandemic caused because of a viral vector from a animal to human transmission. And we find ourselves living in lockdown because of that. So even what we're seeing now with COVID, and if you look back at the last 20 years, we've had four major uh, endemic epidemic leading to sort of pandemic events, MERS, SARS-2, SARS-1, obviously SARS-CoV-2 uh, and Ebola. And all of those were vectors which were moved because of man-animal conflict being driven primarily because of the climate crisis. So this is increasing in intensity, in scale, and if we're not careful, uh, we're going to see our species being put right to the brink if we don't fix this problem pretty soon. Could you explain to me again how COVID was um, exacerbated or I don't know exactly the word by climate change. I'm not sure I understand that link. Could you take me through that again? Yeah. So as we've understood the transmission of this particular virus, as most coronaviruses are in society, originate in uh, rodent and animal vectors. Now, mm -hmm. that's something which is very natural to those species. The challenge we find is that as this virus moves from one viral from the, vi the viral moves from one vector in this case the animal to the human host now that can happen in a variety of settings some of it is is because of the wet markets which exist in different parts of the world some of it is because of consumption of meats some of it is because of changing temperatures or the proximity that humans come uh, in in close contact with these viruses and the vectors for example in this instances in some of the mine shafts uh, in China, etc. So there are a variety of reasons that cause or are a catalyst for the migration of the virus between one ve vector to the other. The other aspect, which is hugely important right now, is if you look at the way COVID is being treated in many parts of the developing world, and particularly India, and this is something I've been very vocal about, is there's a huge degree of antibiotic prescription for COVID. Now, COVID is, is a single-stranded RNA. There is no bacterial involvement unless there's a secondary bacterial illness which sits on top of that in, uh, original infectious insult. But you have 60 to 70% of patients who are being prescribed broad spectrum antibiotics. 
and that mm-hmm. is contributing to an antimicrobial resistance which is mm-hmm. going to get increasingly worse now why is that particularly important in the context of climate because we're now seeing that bacteria because of the thermal stress yeah by the rising temperature are beginning to evolve systems to overcome those thermal stresses which are actually making them more resistant to the chemicals that we have in our toolkit to to try and treat them so this all of this is interconnected our water table is being uh, is being adulterated by chemical effluent from pharmaceutical plants our soil is reducing in efficacy we're losing 90 to 92% of the micronutrients in our soil our food 50% of all food which is put into a mouth in the western world is got zero micronutrients it's it's actually better eating the the packaging because at least you'll get some fiber from that so there are so many ways that this is all interconnected um and what i'm trying to do through my academic and content work is to educate to advocate and to raise the awareness around this it's an awful it's an awfully uh massive job and again you know forgive me as a psychotherapist i really have to wonder how you protect against hopelessness i mean this is it's i can't imagine a more complex kind of problem and you understand all of the particulars and and all of the ways all the elements and how how challenging this is and i just wonder again do you have a particular way of uh doing your life running your day that addresses the hopelessness that would naturally come in being sort of immersed in this every single day i'm a hopeless optimist uh and uh i i have to be uh, and i think you've articulated that so well you know every year i like i write a letter i've got two children Aiden is 5 and and Eva is almost be 3. Uh since since I became a father uh first time with Aiden every year on his birthday I write him a letter and I published that letter on my LinkedIn uh page. And I remember last year in the letter I described to him the framework that I try and live my life by which is RESO. It's an acronym that I created uh a few years ago and it's RESO and it stands for relevance, engagement, sustainability and optimism. and i i you know i i wrote it in the letter for him and and shared it with my with my readers as well because i believe that each of us needs to think about how is it that the skill set that i have is relevant to the world around me and we all have a skill set which is relevant by the way even if it means impacting one person it doesn't matter as we've learned through the meds for more initiative that i was describing so think about how is it that you can create relevancy in the work that one does uh in your in your in your community The second is be engaged. We the world does not need 8 billion passengers. It needs 8 billion active participants in order to solve these big problems. So so figure out your relevancy and then get stuck in. Get stuck in at your building level, at your gated community level, at your school level, locality, city, country, the global level, whatever it is that is part of your appetite. But get stuck in because we all need to be engaged. Number 3 is be sustainable. Right? Understand and this comes through to the question you're asking about self-care. 
if you want to create long-term change, it's a marathon, right? And I've learned that I actually running marathons has taught me so many lessons for life and my career as well. So understand that it's about creating small changes every day, incrementally, that compounds to make big changes in a lifetime. So be sustainable in your approach. And the last, which is O, stands for optimism. Stay optimistic because it's very easy to get down. Uh, but the only way we can create change is being positive ourselves. So that's the framework that I try and operate out of. And I encourage everyone to think about how they can use it for themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that's uh, a beautiful framework. And, and I think we all are kind of looking for a framework to feel like we are relevant and what we do matters. And that's part of leaving a legacy as well. And I know you're very familiar with the longevity research that talks about what are you doing that is going to last um, beyond your lifespan. How would you summarize your the legacy that you are leaving? Um, champion of well-being. It's a, it's a designation I gave myself a few years ago, but I thought it, it fit very well with the, uh, with the arc of change that I want to make uh, in, in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Well, I so appreciate your time and coordinating the, the time change with me. Um, and, and I so appreciate what you're doing in the world. And I hope it is a, an inspiration for, for our audience listening all over the world that it is really one small thing um, that uh, ha can have also uh, ripple effects and uh, we don't even know, right, uh, what effect our contribution will be making. We, we don't know how, we, we don't have the ability to see long term how it will uh, posi positively impact um, our community. Uh, that's such an important lesson. Do, do small things with great love, I believe, is the quote. Thank you so much for your time and your initiatives. Uh, is there a place that um, the audience might find out more about your work? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very active on social media and all of my handles are at doc, that's D-O-C-M, and then my surname, Rani, R-A-N-N-E-Y. So that's at doc M Rani. Uh, my book, At the Human Edge, is now globally available. I'm very excited. We, uh, we hit the bestseller list in India last week. Uh, in, all, in all three categories and uh, we're now globally available on all of the uh, major platforms. We're going into an audio version recording next month and then hopefully uh, a web series thereafter. Uh, and uh, the website where people can find out more about my work is, is, uh, is, is www.humanedge.co. Humanedge.co. That is correct, yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and best of luck in, in your work. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. 
But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.